0: is London calling. You are listening to Thought and Leaders.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome again to another global podcast that is Thought and Leaders. As you know, I reach around this wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous, sumptuous planet of ours to find the most inspirational, interesting, intriguing, amazing thought leaders out there. This week, we have Bishop Baines. Hello, Bishop. Hello. Nice to speak to you, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, yeah. What a start to the year, hey, Bishop?
0: Well, (laughs) I think some people will say it was predictable and other people will say, oh, no, here we go again. It's like Groundhog Day. But it is what it is, isn't it?
1: It is what it is. One of my favourite sayings That Listen, talk about it is what it is. Tell us a little bit about who you are um, for some guy who's living in a remote cave somewhere on this beautiful planet who may not have heard of you. So just give us a little bit of, a, of an elevator pitch.
0: I'm currently the Anglican Bishop of Leeds in England. I'm a member of the House of Lords, Mm. where I lead on Europe for the bishops and one or two other issues, intelligence and security, for example. In a previous life, before I became a bishop, which was in 2003, I became Bishop of Croydon and then Bishop of Bradford, now Bishop of Leeds. Before then, I was a professional linguist working at GCHQ, Government Communications Headquarters in Cheltenham, as a Russian, German and French linguist originally i'm from liverpool so i'm a liverpool fan which this morning is a bit of a struggle because we lost to southampton last night commiserations <laughs> and i write and i blog and i broadcast on mainly on radio 2 and radio 4 of the bbc
1: Amazing. Now, GCHQ, Hmm. being linguist and translating that sort of idea, it's not just about the word by word, it's about the nuances of the word. That must have held you in good stead for your calling. It's not literal, it's, it's much deeper, isn't it? There's much more nuances in terms of interpreting faith.
0: I think one of the things that being a linguist has taught me is that language is fundamental to everything if you've been a professional translator, you'll know that there are many things that cannot be translated literally. For example, in the New Testament, there's a Greek word called kairos, Mm. which often gets translated as the right time or the appointed time. But actually, it doesn't really come close. You've got to intuit it. You've got to feel it. And in the languages I've worked in, um, that happens all the time. At the time that we're speaking, I'm actually in the middle of writing to all my clergy. I'm using a German reference, believe it or not. It's a bit more exciting. It sounds pretty boring, this, doesn't it? But it's actually very difficult to translate what the German word for mercy, Barmherzigkeit, what that feels like, which is different from the English word mercy. So language goes deep. It isn't just linear. It goes deep and you have to inhabit it as well as this inhabiting us.
1: Now, we're Living in a world where we are very dependent on one another, scientists, we're dependent on key workers and so on and so forth. Do you think that before COVID, and I know that we're now in COVID-3 in terms of lockdown three, uh, but do you think before that we kind of took people for granted or took things for granted?
0: Well, I think we've lived in a culture of individualism that in one sense is running its course. So if we live in a culture where the economy as well as society is run on the basis of I have a right to my own self-fulfillment, whatever the cost is to other people, then you're going to run into trouble. There is no way you can say thank you for COVID or for the pandemic or the lockdowns. It's just appalling. But there is a gift element to it, as there is in everything in life. And part of that gift is the need to stop and reflect on what sort of a society we are, why we are the way we are, and uh, how we are the way we are, and then to ask, have we got some of this wrong? You know, I chair a national initiative called the Together Initiative. Its main drive is trying to get people to see their interdependence, not their independence. And I think COVID and the pandemic and the lockdowns have allowed us to stop the hamster wheel of a very busy life, and ask what really matters. And actually, it's one another. Mm.
1: You speak about the Latin word, and please forgive me for for my useless pronunciations. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> metonia, metan. <laughs> messing it up. But and you talk about that. That is about seeing things from a different perspective. Do you want to explain more?
0: One of the key bits in the Gospels is uh, in Mark's Gospel, where right at the beginning. Jesus says, uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, or the presence of God is near again. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, he's addressing the people who will recognize that God is among them when the Romans are booted out and they get everything back they wanted. In other words, their problems are solved. Jesus says to them, repent, which, and the Greek word is metanoi. Uh, from which you get the noun metanoia, repentance. And it doesn't mean, you know, beat your breast and say, oh, aren't I terrible? You know, as people imply when you meet them at Oxford Circus and they're saying, repent for the end is nigh. Repentance is, is change your mind, literally from the Greek, change your mind. In other words, change the way you look at God, the world, and us in order to change the way you see God, the world, and us in order to change the way you think about God, the world, and us, Mm. in order to change the way you live in the world with God and us. So it's about what I call the regrinding of the lens behind the eyes through which we look at God, meaning the world, ourselves, our relationships, the way society is. And instead of just taking it for granted, we allow that lens to be reshaped so we see differently. Mm. That's the gift
1: you just mentioned there the thing about when god is amongst us and, and in mm. terms of what you were talking about from the history point of view that okay now we've got what we wanted but of course with covid and with uh, disasters throughout humankind's uh, history mm. we have had awful things happen and it's at that point that people start saying well where is this god then but of course jesus himself was born in a bit of a difficult situation
0: exactly you know he was born into an obscure part of the Roman Empire where infant mortality was high, life expectation was short, where they were under the jackboot of the Roman Imperial Army. And this is why one of the radical things about Jesus was saying to people, don't say, well, God is with us when everything works out for us. Look for the presence of God even while the Romans are here. Mm. Can you look differently and see the presence of God in the midst of the mess, not as the one who simply resolves the mess so you can be happy again. It, it's a different way of looking at life. I
1: I speak to clergy or others speak to clergy and say someone is going for a bad time and stuff like that. Hmm. Always a standard answer from these people with great respect to yourself, which is, ah, it's a test. Yeah. I get annoyed by this because is it some kind of a game that God is playing? Saying, oh, I think I'll throw this one at them. This time we call it Covid and see how they're going to handle that one. Then it's sort of a game or something, is it? No,
0: <laughs> it is what it is. Life is life, and as mortal human beings in a fragile, contingent world, we get viruses. Bad things happen. There's no reason why I shouldn't discover tomorrow that I've got cancer. You know, I don't want it, but I can't then stop protesting and saying, well, why why have I got it? When I'm a mortal human being made of flesh and blood and cells and atoms and things, and I live in a contingent universe. Mm. This is why... For me as a Christian, um, Christmas is powerful because it's about God opting into this fragile, mortal, contingent world, not exempting himself from it. Mm. So it takes the world seriously. It takes matter seriously. It takes illness seriously and joy seriously.
1: If God takes illness seriously, why give us illnesses?
0: As a previous fellow of the Royal Society once said, a quantum physicist, in a book called Quarks and Chaos, if you want the freedom of living in a world that creates itself, you have to take the possibility of cancer. Mm. You know, if cells mutate, and that's how we live, while I'm talking to you, I'm shedding cells all over the place. If I scratch my head, you know, stuff is, is dead and dying, and it's, it's reproducing. That's how life works. That's the life that I believe God has, has given us in this contingent material world. And so you take the whole package. You, do, you can't just mm. have the little bits you like.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but um, one of the things about the various lockdowns and unlocks and then lockdowns and all that sort of idea is I have discovered the wonders of <laughs> The wonders of something called Netflix. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and, uh, great thing about Netflix is that you can get involved with pro, then you binge on it. Yeah, boxer. You know, it's not like just one program. (laughs) Like I'm watching three series (laughs) of the damn program. One of these programs I've been watching is called Inside the World's Toughest Prisons. Oh right. And to me, it's fascinating because this guy goes to what are the toughest prisons in the world. Oh, right, yeah. And he speaks to various people, prisoners, about what it's like to live in such a place. And he actually stays in each prison as a prisoner himself for a week. Mm. It's interesting about faith. A lot of these prisoners, especially in this one that I watched recently, was somewhere in Africa, and they were saying the prisoners, a murderer, right, a murderer, was saying that the reason that he killed was because of voodoo and the devil made him do it Hmm. we don't kind of like to take responsibility do we for our own actions but we say god made us do it or devil made us do it yeah what's going on
0: i know people who have terrible mental problems where they they do hear voices and you know i can't imagine what what that's like yeah you know telling you to jump out of a window or whatever mm.
1: Do it. what you're describing there's schizophrenia where you're hearing voices this is going beyond that what the journalists were saying was this particular place in this town they believe in voodoo
0: it goes back to what we were saying earlier actually about metanoia uh, repentance conversion seeing the world through a particular set of lenses which we don't take out the lens from behind our eyes and look at it. Mm. You know, we just assume that's the way the world is, um, unless it gets challenged. So, of course, there are parts of the world where different cultures see things in very different ways. It was only a couple of thousand years ago, or even less, that life was incredibly cheap. It still is in some places. We assume that human rights, human dignity, and freedom really matter. Well, in some places, they don't. That's not the highest good. So I've been in a lot of prisons in my time, and in, mm. not, not as a prisoner, but, you know, visiting. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, it, and it's always quite challenging because you meet the people yeah. who have faced up and taken responsibility for what they've done. And generally, they're better balanced. You can see some hope coming there. And you meet the people who cannot afford, for some reason, to face their own responsibility they'll blame other people they'll blame god they'll blame the world they will blame unfairness they'll blame all sorts of stuff but you can't begin to if i can use the word heal um uh, until you face mm-hmm. the reality you know again just just to mm-hmm. as a christian i would say when you look at jesus on the cross one of the things he's doing there is not avoiding the pain, but looking it in the eye and saying this is how rubbish and cruel and bloodthirsty the world is and unjust and we're not running away from it. That's taking responsibility. Mm. If I want to be taken seriously, then I have to own my what I say and what I do, my strengths, my weaknesses, and recognize that all of us, have strengths and weaknesses. We all of us have really screwed up, sometimes in bigger ways than others. Um, and we all need mercy. We all need forgiveness. We all need that freedom that says you can start again. You're not imprisoned by the reputation of the past. Now that's easy to say and quite hard to do. I recognise that. But that that's how human beings can thrive together in a community. It's been a
1: thing about being created in God's image maybe that's what that's about it's about saying God gave people the opportunity to take responsibility and once they do start taking responsibility then they can start seeing that we are all actually interdependent on each other
0: if you go back to the Genesis narrative that's partly what's going on Yeah, God creates what is, and then says to human beings, Right, you name the animals,
1: mm.
0: you know, you, you decide whether you're going to eat the fruit from the tree. Um, it's about being moral beings who are required to take responsibility for the moral choices we make. Mm. And sometimes those are ambiguous, you know, they're not absolutely clear. That's part, again, of mm. living in a really messy world. Not everything is black and white. And we need one another, I mean but I guess the question is if I differ from you in some fundamental way in how I see the morality of something, do I therefore say we disagree, therefore I damn you, and therefore I'm not going to come together with you, or do we say, actually this is a complicated world. we have to hold together mm. because there is no alternative, and I have to live with the discomfort of listening to your view that differs from mine. Now, I think we face a big challenge these days because mm. social media and um, so of the algorithms that run social media are driving us into echo chambers where we only either meet or meet with people who think like us or reinforce the views we already have. Yeah. where is the, like at universities, you know, cancelling people who are going to say things I might find uncomfortable. What's the point of a university? If you can't, be confronted by things, the challenge.
1: So then you've got this other issue with religion where you say one says, no, I'm right. And the other guy says, no, I'm right. Mine is the truth. And the other one says, mine is the truth. So how how do you get around that then?
0: I don't think you get around it. I think think you have to go through it. Um, I used to represent the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, at Mm -hmm. global interfaith conferences, which were largely political. And one of the constant mistakes people made there was to assumed that they were about different faiths coming together to discuss their faiths, and it wasn't. For me, there are two levels of questions you bring in this world. One is, what do we believe about God, the world, and us, human meaning, the meaning of history, all of that? Now, when I meet with people from other faiths, I might listen very carefully, and then say, well, actually, I don't agree. I see it differently. But then you move on to a different set of questions, and we mustn't confuse the two. Hmm. And the question about what do we believe about God, the world, and us, and then the second set of questions, having acknowledged that we don't agree, how then shall we live together? It doesn't mean that we try to bash people into believing what I believe or see the way Mm -hmm. I see it, although I might like people to do that how then do we live together and that means looking for the what I think Jonathan Sachs referred to once from Chief Rabbi greatly missed yeah wonderful man referred to as the, the covenant of crisis which is you know we're in the same messy world how do we hold together I mean I can tell you a quick story if you want that I think demonstrates
1: this yeah go on
0: I was Archdeacon of Lambeth down in South London from 2000 to 2003. And, of course, 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And the mayor of Lambeth called me in with a load of other religious leaders for a meeting. And I got there late. Uh, She knew I was going to be late. And I snuck in, soaking wet from the rain, tucked in behind the door and sat on the floor because all the seats were taken and the rooms packed. Yeah. And there was a Muslim guy sitting fairly close to the door. And he beckoned to me to come and, you know, to his seat. Yeah. And I, I did the English thing of um, sort of, oh, no, 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 it's fine. You know, it's fine <laughs> no. um, And he, yeah. he did it again. And I went, no, it's absolutely fine. You know, I like sitting <laughs> in a puddle on the floor. And it's fine. Um, you know, and third time, I thought, I'm going to cause an international incident. <laughs> so I got up and I sat uh, yeah. with him on his chair and it was a chair made for one bum and there were two of us on it and he was quite a big boy yeah and the only way we could stay on the chair together was to put our arm around each other and hold on really and it was really uncomfortable but i thought well, actually this is a very good image a very good metaphor for what it's about right you know he was dressed very differently from me we have very different lives and lifestyles but we had to stay on the same chair, and we could only do it by holding on to each other.
1: Beautiful image. What a beautiful story. You, you were talking about social bubbles. Mm. Yeah, I'm not talking about the bubbles that we're in with COVID bubbles. Mm. I'm talking about social bubbles of media where people hear the same thing in an echo chamber. Yeah. Uh, with people reaching out to social media to try and find meaning. In one of the books, you mention a poet called R.S. Thomas, Hmm. He says something which is very interesting in terms of COVID, I thought. Thomas, yeah. The meaning is in the waiting. As we are in lockdown three now, it is a question of waiting and having faith, is it? Yeah.
0: Well, uh, yeah, R.S. Thomas was uh, was a miserable so-and-so.
1: <laughs> I, I, I picked out the wrong one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was a Welsh clergyman, and his poetry is wonderful. Right beautifully and bitterly realistic and his sort of faith hanging on and coloring the bleakness mm. but when he wrote that the meaning is in the waiting we live in an instant culture we want everything resolved now yeah the sort of social media internet culture wikipedia um, encourages us to think that we can have all that we can be satisfied now and orus thomas says no it's in learning to wait that we begin to really uh, to go back to our earlier conversation, we begin to see more clearly. Mm. Don't rush it. I mean, another quick story, if I may. Well, there's a book I read during a bit of a personal crisis 30, 40 years ago mm. by an Asian theologian called Kosuke Koyama. And he talks about going into the desert and our first instinct being um, to, to run out of the desert. Yeah. He says the first thing that happens to you when you go into a desert is that you slow down, you have to slow down you can 't keep charging around, and when you slow down, avoiding the reflex to just get out of there as quickly as possible, you begin you get down to walking pace, and in his words, you then find that that 's the pace that God is moving at ah. he calls it three mile an hour god yeah and because we hurtle through life and you know god and well, that's just the, the blur outside the windscreen as we hurtle on. We're missing the point. Mm. It's a gift when we're like in COVID pandemic times, right. which again I'm not. You know, there is nothing good about about this experience, other than the opportunity to slow down, mm. to look and think differently. In one sense, we have no option. You know, if you're locked down, you're not supposed to go out of your house except for very limited purposes. Yeah. All you can do is slow down and use the opportunity rather than bemoan it.
1: A little birdie tells me that you are a Bruce Springsteen fan.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, Bruce Spring. I'm I'm a Bruce fan. Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Coburn.
1: Ah, That's two of them. Right. Yeah. There is a uh, album called Letter to You. You're particularly fond of a song where he's talking about following your dreams. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's given a vocabulary for people who, uh, over the last 40 years, have felt pushed out in one sense. The sort of people that Trump appealed to, but Springsteen isn't a Trumpian. But he, he provided a vocabulary for people who were feeling that the world was changing. Right. The valued life that they were living was no longer regarded well. He went through AIDS with Philadelphia and nine eleven and... Um The rising and all of that, and yet he he says hard stuff, um sometimes to beautiful melody, which is you know the gift of the artist. You can say things in poetry and music that sound stupid if you say them in prose but there's a sort of blandness these days about. You see it on the telly all the time. I'll follow your dreams, and have, you know you can you can be anything you want, and you can have anything you want. No, you can't. Life tells us that most of the population of the world just about gets by.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah,
0: this is a lie we're telling our young people. If some people are going to thrive, other people are going to suffer. They're not going to thrive. That's part of the reality of life. Don't like it, but I think that's the way it is. So we ought to stop telling people lies. And realise that the dreams we have, they can drive our aspiration, but they're still dreams and they shouldn't be confused with
1: reality. So these dreams, these aspirations, these are hopes. People
0: keep saying to me, are you optimistic in relation to COVID and pandemic in the future?
1: And I go, absolutely not, but I'm full of hope. Hold on a minute. I'm not optimistic, but I'm full of hope. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because optimism is expecting it to turn out okay. And we know through most of human history, a lot of things don't turn out okay, or certainly not in my lifetime. But I'm hopeful in that whatever life throws at us, Mm. we can get through this, and we will get through it, and we'll work through it. There's a line I use, I made it up some years ago, it's put on Twitter about Christmas or Easter. Right. Christian's are not driven by fear. We are drawn by hope. So we're not driven by things are terrible now, and this is the point we've got to, and oh, we're afraid of the future. We're drawn from the future, the God of the future, drawn by hope that actually is in the resurrection. That's where we see it. So we we can go into an uncertain future without being fearful, even though we don't know what lies ahead. And it might be bad, you know, it might get worse. So I'm not an optimist, but I'm
1: full of hope. Let's be driven by realistic hope in terms of lockdown free. Wow.
0: Be drawn by hope, not driven by fear.
1: Inspirational stuff. And I hope that whatever the future holds, that we realise that we are not alone in this isolation, that we are dependent on each other. If just we've just got to reach out a bit.
0: That's right. Recognise our own vulnerability and our need
1: of mercy, and then we become merciful to others. Thank you so much.
0: Uh, Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Leaders is a goodbye production. If you're looking for award-winning content for your brand or want to chat about the show, you can either email reinvent@me.com. That's reinvent@me.com. Or why not visit us at www.thoughtandleaders.com. That's thoughtandleaders.com.